again, I want to say thank you for participating in our survey. I just wanted to give you some of the results tonight of the three questions that we asked. First one was, name someone in Scripture who followed God. And our key phrase tonight in the two verses we're going to, passage we're going to look at is not knowing. Not knowing how things would turn out. And there's a lot of different Bible characters, and rightly so, that even though the phrase not knowing might not have been mentioned for them, it was certainly their experience. Um, Daniel, Ruth, Esther, Job, um, Joseph, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, um, Noah, Queen Esther. I mean, a number, a number of people. I mean, a lot of them. But obviously, number one, and the first one we're going to look at tonight was by far the one most mentioned was Abraham. And we're going to look at that in Hebrews and then how that is uh, even more demonstrated in the passage in Genesis 12, which it's referring to. So Abraham would probably be the most common answer to number one. Number two question, second one was, what is the most difficult thing about following God when you don't know what will happen to you if you do? Now, the three options were, my life could get harder, not being in control of the outcome, or I may struggle with anxiety as a result. Now, the number one answer was, and not surprising, honestly, for most of us, I uh, not being in control of the outcome. That was what making following God when you don't know what's going to happen to you is the most difficult part of it. Secondly, and not terribly far behind, uh, 47.8% was the number one answer. Number two 33.3 was my life could get harder. And you're going to see tonight that that is 100% accurate. In fact, that happens more times than not. Um, so that was second. And then thirdly, at 18.8% was I may struggle with anxiety as a result. So again, we're going to see those realities take place in the two Bible characters of Abraham and Paul tonight as we look at what it means to follow God not knowing certain things. And then lastly, the third question was, which is more difficult? This is uh, two options. Following God when you don't know what's going to happen to you, not knowing, or like Jesus, following God when you know everything that will happen to you. So the first one, 58%, was not knowing. Uh, The majority of people, by a little bit, thought that not knowing would be more difficult. 42% thought knowing would be more difficult. And uh, I'd love to hear more conversation about that. Um, I kind of sided with the minority thought of knowing. I just think it would be hard if God told you that this is what you want it, you're going to be asked to do. This is what's going to happen to you. So I still want you to make all the choices that's going to lead down that road. I think when John 13, where it said Jesus, knowing that all these things were going to happen to him, he got up from the table and he served the people, washed their disciples' feet. He still went to the cross. He still took the beating. But he knew all that was happening, and he still followed. I think that's difficult. Now, I know not knowing is, it makes everything uncertain. It's a surprise, and it makes it fearful in a, a whole different way. So I, I really understand both ways. But, again, thank you for participating in those ones and thinking through those questions tonight. And with those things in mind, I'm going to ask you to turn to our first text about not knowing. And that's Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your scriptures with you, I'm going to read this. And again, you're probably going to have to flip back to Genesis chapter 12 because this is really a 
synopsis of the call of Abraham in those first few verses of chapter 12. And we're going to go back there so you can kind of keep both in mind. But let me just read, first of all, Hebrews 11, verse 8. This little phrase, by faith, 18 times in this chapter. And one of them is this one. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out. Here's our phrase, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. This is the Canaan, this is Canaan land. As in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why did he do that? Why did he live that way? Because here's the answer. Reason, verse 10, 4. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. I've said it many times. Um, I th- thoroughly enjoy reading biographies, historical, uh, non-fictional accounts of uh, people and history. And some of them, as I was thinking about this text tonight, came to my mind. I don't know if you've ever done um, any reading on the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence um, but their stories are amazing. And what's amazing about them to me is that they signed the Declaration of, De- of Independence really not knowing all the things that would happen to them as a result of it. And there are actually probably three books that I know of, one written back in the 1800s, um, one in the earlier 1900s, and one here in more recent days, um, that kind of catalog in small biographical vignettes of all 56 of the men and their families and their wives and their children and what happened to them, it's amazing, you know, that they would sign these things. I mean, John Hancock uh, uh, wrote his name the largest of everybody else's, and so he was quoted by saying, I wrote it this big so that even if His Majesty the King of England is not having his glasses available, he'll still know that John Hancock signed. Um, So he was very proud of it, although... His losses would be great. And, and most of them knew that it was going to be rough, but they did not know how rough it would really be. For those of us uh, tonight, all of us who live in New Jersey, I don't know if you're aware of this, but five men from New Jersey signed the Declaration of Independence. And one of them uh, was from Trenton, New Jersey, and his name was John Hart. Let me just tell you what he didn't know would happen to him when he signed it. And this is from an article by Rush Limbaugh on it, uh, an article saw the Americans who risked everything. John Hart of Trenton, New Jersey, risked his life just to return home to see his dying wife. Hessian soldiers rode after him, and he escaped in the woods. I read further, he was on the run probably for about a month. And while his wife lay on her deathbed, the soldiers ruined his farm and wrecked his homestead. Hart, 65 years old, slept in caves and woods as he was hunted across the countryside. When at long last, emaciated by hardship, he was able to sneak home. He found his wife had already been buried and his 13 children had been taken away. He never saw them again. He died a broken man in 1779 without ever finding his family. And that's just one of 56 stories of men who signed the Declaration of Independence not knowing 
all the things that would happen to them, but they willingly signed it anyways. I could go on and tell you stories about Lewis and Clark, Clark who went across, all the way across America, uh, not knowing where they were going. There weren't really any maps most of the way. They had to make their own maps. They thought there would be a river going all the way to the West Coast, but there wasn't one. And instead of canoes, they, uh, they needed all kinds of other gear as well that they didn't take. And there's a lot of things they did not know. But they went out there, and it was very difficult. They risked their lives on numerous levels and numerous ways. But they took that adventure on not knowing. They had courage. They had courage. Um, Sir Ernest Shackleton uh, took a group on his ship called the Endurance to the North Pole in Antarctica. And that boat got stuck in the ice. It got crushed. He did not know that most of the men that went out with him would never come back. Um, Five men went to Ecuador thinking that they were going to reach the, the Indians in that area. They did not know when they landed their plane that day that they would never get back on it. They would never see their wives and children again. Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and many of the th- other three men all died, never seeing their families again. See, that's not the experience that you and I like. We don't relish opportunities to live life not knowing what's ahead of us. We like to be fully informed, especially by those who we're, we are closest to. I mean, we don't want our spouse making major purchases on cars or homes or furniture without telling us first. We want to know. And we consider that courteous when it comes to relationships. We don't like if our teenagers come home and say, Mom, I'd like you to finally meet the guy I've been dating the last six months. I mean, we don't, we don't want that. We want our children to communicate. We want to be informed. We want to know. We don't want to be left in the dark. We don't want college students to tell us by the phone, by the way, hey, I'm dropping out and I'm not taking classes anymore. Um, we don't want, you know why? We want to know ahead. We want to plan. We want to be able to have a calculated response to the circumstances that we're going to face. Um, to be honest, um, we would say often to people, well, if you would have told me that, then I would have, and you say, well, if I would have known that I never would have, and, and we base it on the fact that we should know things, that we have to have everything ahead of time. We want the sure thing. We want a money-back guarantee. We want insurance, so if it doesn't work out, we can know in the future that we'll be taken care of. We want those things, and that's not necessarily wrong to do it. We, we just don't want to roll the dice, as it were, speak proverbially, any more in life than we have to, because we want to be sure. We want to be in the know. I mean, and it's our world. It's everything in our world functions that way. We can tell the weather, 10-day forecast, just weather channel. You can see down the road. Amazon will tell you, hey, your package has been delivered. It's on your front porch. I have a thing on the front of my door. And, I, and when someone comes to my door, I, before I even get downstairs, I already know who's there because I have a video who's standing there. I mean, we have all of these things in our world and we want to know everything ahead of time. But we don't function well on the basis of not knowing. We want to plan it out. We want life to be scheduled. So we have planners and calendars and reminders and itineraries. And when we take a trip, we don't just get in the car and say, everybody pack your stuff, we're going on vacation. Where are we going, Dad? I don't know, just get in the car. Nobody does that. No one takes a trip and say, well, how do you get there? I don't know, we'll figure it out as we go. No, we have GPS. We can map it out. It'll tell us how many hours till we get there, how many miles we're going to drive. It'll show us on the way there. Oh, you don't have to guess. There's a gas station here, and if you ways or whatever it is, there's a restaurant over here. I mean, we know it all. 
We've mapped it all, and we have it all down ahead of time. And we don't like not knowing. And you know why? Because a lot of times, not knowing means not controlling. And we like to control things. We're not a big fan of things that are not on our schedule. We don't like it when people want us to do something that messes up our schedule. People want to come in and take our time. And all these, you know why? We want to have it under our control. And so... It's not amazing, really, when you think about it, that one of the first lessons that God wants to teach Abraham about himself and about a relationship with God is called faith. See, the Bible says, by faith, in chapter Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, he, Abraham, obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing. And here's what God says, first lesson, Abraham, if you want to follow me, I'm not giving you all the details up front. I'm not going to tell you where you're going. And although we wouldn't do it, Abraham was told by God he needed to do it. Pack up your family. Pack up all your stuff. I know you've been here for the vast majority of your life. And here's what you're familiar with. Here's what you're used to. But I want you to forget all that. And I want you to pack it up. And I want you to go. And by the way, there won't be any GPS. And there won't be a map. You'll just walk until I tell you to stop. Hold your finger there in Hebrews 11, if you would, and let me expand on that a little bit more by reading Genesis 12. This is the expanded version of God calling Abraham to go out not knowing. Genesis 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country. Now he's going to be, it's like a big funnel. It's going to get wider, and then as it comes down the funnel, it's going to get narrow. So he starts out, go away from your country. We'd say, hey, leave America. Then he says, go away from your kindred. Hey, leave all of your close friends and distant relatives. And then he says, in your father's house. So I want you to leave all those things behind, too. And And he says, then I will show you the land that you're to go to. I'm going to show it to you. You leave everything behind. Now, let me tell you this. If you want to keep notes tonight, Abraham's not knowing faith had one word that describes it. It was where. Paul, we're going to talk about in a minute, he's what. He had to go out not knowing what. Abraham had to go out not knowing where he was going. The NIV uh, version puts it this way, that Abraham obeyed and went, even though the idea is it was not easy for him. It was a struggle. Even though he did not know where he was going. So Abraham was told by God something that didn't make sense to him. He wasn't getting a lot of prior information, but he obeyed anyways. He went, the Bible says. Let me say it to you this way. He obeyed with limited knowledge. Can I tell you a principle? Please hear this. If you are going to wait until God gives you all the details up front and tells you everything that's going to happen and gives you all the possibilities that you could run into, you're never going to do anything for God. You're never going to step out on faith. You're never going to take any risks. You're never going to be able to handle problems that come up in your life that are bigger than you are. You're not going to. If you're waiting for God to tell you ahead of time all of those things, you're going to struggle with obeying God's word. You really are. Now, let me tell you how much of a struggle it was for Abraham. Let me give you some details that Genesis 12 puts in for us. 
The Bible says in the verses preceding chapter 12 that he was in the lineage, it's the sixth Toledoth. A Toledoth was an, a genealogy. There are 10 of them, in, in, and it's how Genesis is laid out framework-wise. This is the sixth Toledoth, and this is about Terah. Terah was the father of Abraham, and the Bible says that he's, it's his lineage coming down. Abraham is his relative. And the Bible says that they lived in a place called Ur of the Chaldees. Now, if you have my, if my finger, if this is a good illustration, Ur of the Chaldees is here. Shechem and Israel is over here. Haran is at the top. And in between is the desert. Imagine that. And I put this on the screen right there. See if you can see the crescent. It's called the Fertile Crescent. On the very bottom right-hand side, to me, left maybe to you, it says Ur. Now, up at the top it says Haran, that's part of a place in a place called Padam Aran. Okay? And then if you go down to the left by the Mediterranean Sea, uh, I don't think it's mentioned there by name, but Shechem would be uh, down there where the word caravan is. All right? So that big crescent in between is the Arabian Desert, which nobody goes across because not many people could do it and live. So it was a long way around. So he's leaving Ur. Ur is what we call modern day Iraq. And so Abraham was. If, if it was modern terms, he'd be Iraqi, and he's going, and he's always lived there his whole life. Now, his dad dies when he's 200 and something years old, and Abraham's been there, so he leaves and goes with his dad part way. And so when God calls him, he's at the top. He's in Haran. Now, he's already left his home, all those, and he's gone 600 miles. Now, if you walk, which is a good pace when you have a lot of animals and you have family members, if you went 20 miles a day, right, 20 miles a day, it would still take you a month to walk to Haran. A month on the road. So he gets up there, and it's another 400 miles to get to Shechem, which he eventually gets to. So this is going to be a long journey. God promises four times, I will, I will, I will. And God said, this is all the things. I've got all these blessings for you to enjoy. All these things. I'm going to give you a son. He's going to tell God. He's going to tell Abraham all the blessings. But let me tell you this. It's going to be a long journey to get to those blessings. And it's not going to be easy. And when he was in Ur, the Chaldees, they were known for worshiping the moon god. And so imagine this. He's going to leave his nation that he's always lived in. He's going to a new country he's never been to. He's leaving all of his friends and a lot of his relatives behind. He's only got his immediate family. And he's leaving and going out to a place he's never been, worshiping a God up until now he's never known. And everything in his life is changing. And on top of it, the scripture says he did all this when he was 75 years old. Now, I'm only 55 years old. Pastor Dave is probably close to 75. But I can't imagine... Taking a trip like that when you're 75 years old. Now, that is why the Bible says by faith. By faith. He went on a journey not knowing where he's going. Now, here's a great point. Write it down in your Bible. You know in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, when God calls him and does all this, and, and the verses following, do you know it's never, there's never a line, not even a word about Abraham ever saying anything. He doesn't say anything. But you know what? His actions speak louder than his words because he does stuff. In fact, you know what he does? Exactly what God tells him every time. God says, you pick it up and move here, he does it. And every place he goes, he builds an altar. You know why? Because he had a not knowing faith. He, had, he was willing to take on a new identity. He was a new geography, 
a new sociology. I mean, literally his whole world was turned upside down. And he had to do it in the most uncomfortable situations in his life. But you know why? Because he had a not knowing faith. And how do you have a not knowing faith with all those changes and all those upheavals and all those difficulties in your life? Because you have to believe and trust that when God says something to you, he knows what he's talking about. That he's leading you in the right way. And where he's leading you is the best place that you can be. Now you might be here tonight and watching and you might be thinking, hey... I'm in kind of a journey of my own here. We all are lately. I mean, where is this thing that God's, what is he doing? And where is this all headed? Where are we going with the virus? Where is this going to head, you know, where is this going to end up with my job? Where is this going to end up with my kids' education? Where is this going to end up financially for me if I get laid off or I already have been laid off and then my wife gets laid off? Where, where is God going with all of this? And you begin to wonder, hey, I've never been down these roads before. I've never been to this place because this is not on the map. This isn't how I would have, you know, see, and why doesn't God let me know this stuff? I mean, if God would have said to this, hey, follow me, and I would have known that this would have taken place, see, I might not have followed. And here's what God says. See, you need my perspective on where things are going. You know why? Because the last part of Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 It goes on to say this, that Abraham, once he got God's perspective on not knowing where, he passed it on to his kids. And you know what they did? The Bible said they lived in tents. Now let me give you a principle. How do you have a not knowing faith that you go where God, wherever it is he's leading you? You know what you have to do? You have to say this, I have God's perspective on where, and not only changes where I live, but how I live. They lived in tents, and you know what living in tents communicated? That it wasn't permanent. That this wasn't their final resting place. This wasn't the place God wanted to put down roots. This was only temporary. And so they lived in tents because living in tents communicated the depth of their faith that they didn't have to know when the city was coming. They didn't have to know what the future was going to be like. They knew there was a future, and they were going to let God bring it to pass whenever he did. So he said, God, you can direct my life, where I'm headed, and all these things that you're directing in me. And listen, I'm going to keep my eyes looking forward. He says, right now, I'm going to communicate this. I have faith in you, even though I don't know. And here's how I'm going to say I'm living in a tent. See, he says, this isn't where I'm ultimately going to be, but it is where God wants me to be. And, that, and that's important for you and I as we walk down this road and this journey, the long journey to God's blessings in our lives, that we're content to have a not knowing faith, even if not knowing where God's leading us in all these difficult times that we face in our lives. The Bible said he could say, I don't have a city here, but I'm going to have a city there. And verse 10 says, for he was looking forward to a city whose designer and builder was God. Now, I don't have time to tell you all this, but it's a great word study because the word city is used three other times. Once in this text, later on in verse 16, it says all of these died in faith. And in verse 16 says, but they, they went on and God says, because they had prepared for them a city. That's how they could let go. That's how they didn't turn around and go back. You know why? Because the city they didn't have here didn't stop them from following God, even though they didn't know all that was going to take place here. Because they had a city they were looking forward to. A city that would be permanent. One that God made for them. 12.22 of Hebrews says even more. It says, we've come to Mount Zion. 
Not the city you can see with your eyes, but the city you can't see, with your, where there are angels. He says, it's the city of the living God. That's what they were looking forward to. They knew that, to quote the whole song, this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. See, that's what they had in mind. That's why they could put up with things here that weren't to their liking, not knowing the details, not seeing that a virus was coming or they would lose their job or the heartache it would bring or their loved ones that would die. How do you handle all that stuff? Well, you go forward not knowing what? Where God's leading me because I know someday that there's a permanence coming. There's a city that God's made, one that you can't see with your eyes right now, and I'm looking forward to that. That's what keeps me walking down this road. And then the book ends with an admonition admonition to Hebrew Christians who have watched Jesus die. And it says this, verse 13, chapter 13, verse 14, for we do not have any lasting city. We don't have a lasting, but he says, but we seek the city that is to come. See, we don't put and invest our lives in the city of man because the city of God is coming. The one, that's what we seek. That's what we're after. So how do you have a not knowing faith where God leads you? You have to trust him. You have to realize that this is not our final home. We have a city that's ahead of us. And we're trusting God that where he leads us is the best place we could possibly be. Paul, if you would turn over to Acts chapter 20. The second not knowing phrase, see, Abraham had a not knowing faith and where is what described him, where he was going. Paul was what? Paul didn't know exactly what was coming. Look how he faced it and the lessons we can learn from him. Acts 20 and verse 22 reads, and now behold. Now this little framework, you can see it there. If you underline it, see the little word, and now behold, that also is the verse starts, verse 25 starts the same way. And now behold, see those two little identical phrases? That makes this little grouping, and he's going to take some, some momentous events are taking place in Paul's life. Some things that he's going to say, I want you as a reader, and the people that knew him were drawing their attention to him because they were life-changing events, like the ones we're going through. They weren't virus events, but they were violent events. They were life-changing events. And so between those little two phrases, here's what he says. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, ESV says. The world word actually is the same word used in the very next word, verse, and it means to be chained. Sometimes it's translated imprisoned, but it means to be locked up or enchained. So let me read it that way. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm chained by the Spirit. Here's our phrase, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except, I don't know exactly how bad it's going to be, but what I do know is it's not going to be good. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me, listen to this, in every city that imprisonment, there's our word again, right? And afflictions await me. So here's what Paul says, here's what I don't know. I don't know how bad I'm going to get beat. I don't know how bad and how long I'm going to be in prison. I don't know if I'll get out of prison. So I don't know exactly what they're going to do to me, but I know that it's going to involve beatings and imprisonment. How do you face that? 
How do you go from city to city knowing that every time you go there, it's just a matter of time before somebody gets a hold of you till you get persecuted to one degree or another, and sometimes the most harsh persecutions. And if you've ever read the list of Paul's persecutions, you know how numerous they were and how severe they were. So not knowing is a very, very scary thing, not just to us, but to him in ways that we probably will never experience. And Paul says, here's what I know. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to me. All I know is that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. Now the word testify is used three times in this text, verse 21, 23, and 24. And you get the idea. Here's what Paul says, I testify, but I testify the good news of Jesus. He says that in verse 24, that I might testify the gospel. See, you know, but the Holy Spirit, you know, he testifies all the bad news. I tell people about Jesus, and the Spirit just tells me all the bad things that they're going to do to me because of Jesus. Now, if you knew all that ahead of time, would you go? I mean, would you feel obligated to go forward on a journey like that? I mean, at least Abraham was traveling on a journey to blessings. Paul is traveling on a journey to beatings. But he goes. All he doesn't know is how bad it's going to be. How is that possible, Pastor Walker? How do you keep going on when things just seem to get worse and worse? I mean, have you ever said, you know, no way am I doing that. No way. I mean, how many beatings, how many stonings, how many flogs, floggings, how many imprisonments does Paul have to go through? Well, the text says, you know how you go through all that and you keep going? Because he says, although... Chains await me externally on the outside. I have a different kind of chain that keeps me going on the inside. Paul sees, see, I'm chained to what God wants me. I'm chained to God's call. I'm chained to the ministry. I'm chained, and the Holy Spirit inside of me is working in me, and I'm chained because I cannot help but do what he wants me to do. It's what my life is all about. In fact, he's going to say it in such radical terms in verse 24. That he's going to tell you that my life doesn't even have purpose. There's no value of my existence, he says, unless I'm doing what God wants me to do. That's the kind of inner chain that we have to have to keep going in difficult times, knowing that it could get worse. Knowing that things could just degenerate around us. Paul says, I've got this inner spiritual chain that the Spirit of God keeps tugging me forward and pulling me into the next city, even though I know it's going to be painful and difficult. And I've got this inner chain, and it helps me to be able to say, that's how I endure the external chains. Let me ask you, do you have that? See, you know what's true about both not knowing people? The overall guiding part of both texts are mission. Abraham's was the first commission that through him all the nations and the families would be blessed. God was starting reaching all the nations on the first not knowing person, Abraham. Now toward the end of that process, Paul is saying, see, I'm reaching all the nations with the gospel, and both of them are about how they are wrapped up and their life is completely absorbed in God's work and mission. And I can tell you this right now, you'll never have a not knowing faith that will follow God where he wants you to go when you don't know it. You'll never follow God enough to do what he wants you to do, no matter how bad it is. See, if you don't have that inner spirit pulling you and those chains working in your life. Well, how do I know, Pastor Walker, if I have that? How do I know if I, don't, if I have a not knowing faith? Look what Paul says of his life in verse 24. 
I do not count, and it's a ledger term, he's weighing it out, he's balancing the value of his existence. I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious, and the word is the word Timothy, it's the word honor. In other words, he's saying, listen, on the ledger, let me tell you this, if Jesus isn't my life, the scales are tipping because I'm not worth, I'm not going to have, the scales are not going down based on my life in and of itself, apart from Jesus and what he wants me to do. See, the scale's way up in the air because there's nothing holding it down because there's no value to it. He says, my life only has value when? If I finish my course. If I keep going to the next city, even though I know what might happen to me there. See, when I keep going and I keep serving Christ, and the ministry I receive from the Lord. See, here's how I keep, even though the Spirit of God keeps giving me bad news, I keep giving people good news. How do you do that? How does your boss keep giving you bad news? And the government keeps giving you bad news. And your doctor keeps giving you bad news. But you keep giving out the good news. That's what it means to have a not knowing faith. How do you keep going when in your mind and heart you say no way? How do you say no quit when you'd like to say no way? You won't know this name, most likely. Jason Lezak. He swam the anchor leg of the 4x100 freestyle relay in the Beijing 2008 Olympics. If I said Michael Phelps, you would know him because he has multiple, and that's an underestimation, I'm sure, um, gold medals in the Olympics for swimming. But on this day, in 2008, they were to swim against numerous nations, France being their biggest problem because in this relay Americans had not won since 1996 and they were not expected to win this time either even though Michael Phelps was swimming with them they just because the world record holder and the one man who had won the most things in that race all year long was a Frenchman and his last name was Bernard and he was racing and he would be the anchor for the French team and no one expected unless the Americans were way ahead which they knew they wouldn't be that they would ever win this race. Later, after the race was over, uh, Jason Lezak was asked, how did you do it? He says, well, I changed. I thought that it's ridiculous to think that we were going to get smashed, and that's what the French said. They were going to smash the Americans. He said this, I am at the Olympics, and I'm here for the United States. And you know what? I don't care how bad it hurts. I'm going after the gold. They weren't supposed to win. Watch this video clip and see how it finishes. Start. times in his career has he anchored this free relay and medley relay, but I just don't think he can do it. He's trying to ride that wave as much as possible. Bernard is pulling away from him. So I get to the 50 wall, I flip turn, push off the wall. And I look, and he had nearly a body-length lead on me. He actually increased his lead. So I'm thinking in my head, there is no way I can catch this guy. I'm just got to finish this race as hard as I can. Lezak is closing a little bit on Bernard. Can the veteran chase him down and pull off a shocker here? Well, there's no doubt that he's tightening up. 
They won that race by eight one-hundredths of a second. Again, that's a race that reminds me of when no way meets no quit. Let me tell you tonight, let me encourage you. You might be saying to yourself, no way, Pastor Walker. I can't keep going. Paul kept going from city to city. He kept enduring. There's no way I can keep going. No way. Can I tell you tonight, let no way meet no quit. Be like Paul. Finish your course, your race. Know that God values you and God's working in you. That you can have a not knowing faith and trust in God. Because inside of you, he's pulling you. He's working with you. And he's helping you to win the race when it doesn't look like it could be even be possible. You know what? And, and as you do that and you trust him, he begins to change your life and shape and form your life from the inside out so that you can say, you know what, Lord? I can finish. I can continue to do what you want me to do. I can continue to love my wife and, and protect and provide for my family. I can keep doing that job that just wears me out. And now I'm doing two jobs. I can keep doing those schoolwork. I can finish those papers. I can do all the things God wants me to do. You know why? Because even though I don't know how it's all going to turn out and I don't have certainty about the outcome, I know the Lord is worthy of it and I'm going to follow. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for these two texts tonight. Thank you for the example of Abraham and Paul. Father, may we continue to go over these verses throughout this week. And I pray particularly for those tonight who are here. And they need a not knowing faith. Because they're struggling. They want to be in control. They want to have more details. They wish that God would make it clear. And all the uncertainty and the fear and the anxiety and the worry and everything would just vanish and go away with it. But Father, that's not how you work. You want us to have a different kind of faith. One that works through the problems. One works through the life with limited knowledge at times. Because, Lord, that's why it's faith. We need to trust you when we don't know the outcome, when we don't see the future. But, Lord, we can look forward to the city. For Paul, every city was a bad city for him. But there was a day coming, as Abraham knew as well, that there would be a city where there would be peace and there would be rest. And that future day and that future city is coming, Father. Until then, help us to keep our eyes looking forward, keeping on you in that coming city. But until then, God, help us to have a not-knowing faith that we'll trust you where you lead and whatever you bring into our lives. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.